Uh, I was reading an email a couple of days ago of a well-known uh, pastor uh, who was approaching Sunday and uh, didn't have a clue as to what he was going to be speaking about. And that's a real trauma for, for us uh, as speakers. We, we want to know. We want to prepare. We want to, you know, pray. <clears throat> and he was getting nothing. And Saturday came, and still he had nothing. And Saturday night, he was pacing the floor back and forth, praying, God, I need a word from you. What do you want me to speak about? And again, nothing. He went to sleep that night, still praying on, on his lips, God, would you? Well, Sunday morning was time to go to church. And right before he got in his car, the, the lights in his house went out, you know, kind of like a, a quick flicker. And when it went back on, his, his uh, tape machine, his you know, voice machine, kicked in. And, and he heard the voice say this, you have one message. And suddenly he realized he had to speak but the one message that we all have, and that is Jesus Christ. We glory in the man Christ Jesus. Uh, we have no confidence in ourselves, but our confidence is in him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the expression, uh, I hope you did, you have, warts and all? Anybody? Can I see a couple of hands? Okay, a few, a few more than in the first service. But that was spoken by uh, Oliver Cromwell, who was titled the Lord Protector of England back in the day. He had commissioned uh, an artist to paint his portrait. And the artist had a reputation of painting nobility in the most flattering way, you know, kind of like airbrushing all of their uh, blemishes out. And, and he wanted a true likeness of himself, which meant, you know, warts and all, what you see is what you get. Well, when we read the Gospels, we see the disciples just as they are, warts and all. Uh, they were just common men, nor normal guys, if you would. Some of them were, uh, were, were fishermen. Uh, others, you know, uh, Matthew was a tax collector. But, but uh, what I want you to know is that these guys, when they began their ministry, they weren't the sharpest or the brightest. Now, I, I don't want to be insulting to them because I figure someday I will beat them, you know. But I wasn't the sharpest or the brightest uh, when I began my ministry either. Uh, we all have blemishes. You know, we, we all have, have warts and wrinkles and spots, and uh, they did too. But one thing they did have was the knowledge that they had a Savior who had loved them unconditionally. And I hope that you discover that as well today. If you're not a follower of Christ, I want to talk to you about this amazing Jesus today. He is our one message that we want to proclaim like I said, the disciples were common men. None of them graduated at the top of their Hebrew class, you know. Uh, yet I suppose that they asked one of the most deepest and profound questions that has a profound effect upon us today, 2,000 years later. You see, what hinges upon our salvation is a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is, his identity and his nature. And, and this isn't just a head knowledge but this is a heart knowledge where we trust, we trust in the one who has been revealed to us according to the scriptures. And this isn't just an issue of, well, I, I might be mistaken about this or that. No, an error when it comes to Jesus is not just a mistake. It's, a, it's an issue of life 
and of death. One of the most common errors that, that are made by groups that say that they are Christians but are not is to overemphasize one of the aspects of the, the person of the Lord Jesus. Like, like, like some will uh, deny the deity of Christ. They'll say that he's a, a, a good man, he was a teacher, he was a moral leader, but, but, but he, he's not the only means by which men must be saved. That is, that is deadly wrong. And there are others who, who, who talk about his divinity, but who minimize his humanity as though not even to talk about that at all, as though, as though he's just somehow put on this human suit and uh, coursed through this world and, and then went back to heaven, back to the way he was before. And that's not so. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but, but he was a skeptic in the beginning. He, in his unbelief, persecuted the church until he had a living encounter with the risen Christ and this is what he writes about the, the, this incarnation where, where, where God becomes one of us. Is the song that we sang this morning where he entered the creation that he made and became a part of the creation. Paul said this. He said, behold, all, all question, be, I'm sorry, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He, God, appeared in a body was vindicated by the Spirit or authenticated by the Spirit, seen of angels, preached among nations, believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. The emphasis of what Paul is saying here is that God was revealed in a body in flesh and blood. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. The one person, two natures, two distinct natures, one being divine, the other being human, having a, a divine will and having a human will, having a divine conscience and having a human conscience. This, this is a mystery that has been revealed through the proclaiming of the Gospels, two separate and distinct natures. Jesus Christ is revealed as the Son of God in the Old Testament, but he's, he's, he's foretold in the Old, but he's really revealed in the New and uh, it's so important for us to also understand that he was fully God, but he was also fully man. That in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, born of a virgin. And that, and that, that is so crucial to our salvation, understanding both dynamics in the one person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what, what's this incredible question that has a profound effect upon uh, our salvation today. Uh, let me just take a few minutes to get to that, give you a little bit of a background. It happened during the most terrifying moments of their lives. The disciples were, were on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was asleep on the cushion in a part of the boat. And they got caught up in this, this horrific storm. I mean, the waves, the, the, these are experienced fishermen, but they have never seen anything quite like this before. And uh, they wake up Jesus in a panic. With, with, it's not so, so much a question as much as a rhetorical, it, and it really is an accusation. They wake up Jesus with this horrible accusation. Lord, don't you care that we're about to perish? Don't you care that we're about to die? Isn't it true that, that sometimes when we are going through difficulty, when, when, when the storms of life seem to be overwhelming to us, that we are tempted to think or to believe that somehow God doesn't care? 
Maybe God stopped caring. Maybe, maybe I, I would never was a child of God, and therefore, if I was a child of God, I wouldn't be going through this. Those temptations are real, and the accusation was, was terrible to, to the person who is to be trusted above all else. Lord, don't you care? So Jesus shakes off his sleepiness. He awakes, right? And he stands, and he, and he with several words saying, peace, be still. And the raging waves and, 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 and the wind just totally calms. He just shuts it down with amazing authority, right? And when you read the narrative and you see that the, the disciples are terrified, you, you don't know, uh, at least I didn't know, are they terrified by the storm or were they even more terrified by seeing Jesus display such power over nature itself? And so I want you to think about that. Be still. Now, I believe with all my heart that this storm was demonic in its nature. And, and there are several plausible reasons why I could say that. If you remember the book of Job, uh, somehow Satan was able to harness a tornado to destroy Job's children. But, but aside from that, I, I, when, when they land on the shore... After everything is calm and they land on the shore of the Gadarenes, they are met by a man who is demonized. He has supernatural strength. He breaks the chains. He can't be bound. He lives in a graveyard, and Jesus expels the demons out of him. This could have been a preemptive attempt on the part of the ruling principalities or the demonic spirits there to, to prevent Jesus from coming, to do the very thing that Jesus was about to do. The second plausible reason why I say that this was, this was demonic was because Jesus would have never rebuked. Had Jesus discerned that this storm was sent by his heavenly father or even permitted by his heavenly father, he would have, he would have never rebuked the storm. Why do I say that? Because there was a coming storm. No, a tsunami was coming called Gethsemane and the cross that Jesus could have silenced, but he did not. Jesus did not rebuke the horror of the cross because he knew that it was the only means whereby which men must be saved to take away the sin of the world. Once again, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that not only does Jesus love us unconditionally, but Jesus saves us. He saves us from guilt and condemnation. He, he, he saves us from eternal punishment. And, and there is a judgment coming. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And that is a storm you don't want to go through. And for everyone who puts their trust in Christ, we are rescued from that pending storm. Listen, if we were in that ship that night, we would have all been terrified just as much as Peter, James, and John and the other disciples. But that's what drove them to ask this important question. And this is what they ask among themselves. They said, what kind of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Great question. What kind of man is this? Jesus is a man unlike any other. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, very God and, and fully man, is unlike any other. His uniqueness as the perfect man, but also as God caused his sacrifice to become so infinitely precious and, and efficacious or, or effectual. What kind of man is he? He is, 
He is fully man. He is fully God. He is not God humanized. Neither is he man deified. There's no cross uh, alloy going on here. Two separate and distinct natures, which is so important to our salvation. The prophet Isaiah said, said, unto us a child is given, a son is born, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. That was spoken 750 years before the birth of Jesus. And yet this is an amazing mystery that, that, that only through faith can we really wrap our minds around. I was reading uh, this little piece written by Max Lucado, uh, where he suggests that, that Joseph, Mary's husband, stepfather to Jesus, uh, must have been the most perplexed and confused man of in, his entire generation. Did he, did he think something like this? This is not what I signed up for. A child born in a stable? This is not the way I thought it would be. A child being born in a, in, a, in a cave with donkeys and sheep and straw. My wife giving birth with only the stars to hear her cries. No bed for her back. No, no, no pillow except this, this blanket from my donkey. I imagine neighbors and friends. and I imagine people slapping me on the back, congratulating me at the sound of a, of a baby's cry. This is not the way I thought it would be. This doesn't seem right. No midwife for Mary. When the angel spoke about the son of the most high, I, 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 I pictured, I envisioned Jerusalem, a temple, a parade. I mean, this is the Messiah. Is this the way the Messiah enters into the world? This just doesn't seem right. It seems so strange to me. I'm a carpenter. I measure twice before I cut once. I use a plumb line. I round off edges. I want to know the plan before I start. But I guess I'm not the one who made these plans. No, Joseph, you aren't. That little baby is the ancient of days. That little baby had no beginning as the nature of God inside a human being, one with, with God, one with man. You know, no one has so elevated the human race as when the, the Son of God took upon himself our humanity, became one of us and one as us. And to believe that he is both God and man is essential to our <clears throat> salvation. It is because of his great worth as God and perfect man who was tried, tested, tempted, and absolutely just and righteous that made his sacrifice so precious. This is what Paul said again in 1 Timothy 2.5. He says, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Notice, notice the emphasis of what, what the apostle is saying here, that as a mediator, a go-between, the one who bridges the gap between God and man, it is the man Christ Jesus. He's the only one qualified to, to literally bring us unto God, to present us unto God. Emphasis, he's the man. He's the man. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels with that understanding that, that, that Jesus really is a man, you know? Uh, when the uh, Jewish leaders gave orders to the temple guards to go and arrest Jesus, bring him back here, he's going to answer to our questions. They come back empty-handed. And they're furious. They say, why did you disobey a direct order? And their, their answer is so interesting. And, and, and this is what they said. No man ever spoke like this man before. 
No man ever spoke like this man before. There's a painting hanging in the Brooklyn Museum. And it's a depiction of Pontius Pilate. The caption is, it's titled, Behold the Man. It's, it's, it's Pilate pointing to a Messiah who has been bloodied by, by uh, being flogged. Uh, he's got a purple robe. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. And, and, and the blood is, is oozing through his robe. Pilate knows that he, he's done nothing deserving of death. And, and, and he's, and he's trying, to, trying to win his release. And he points to Jesus and says, Behold the man, the man, Christ Jesus. As God, it was impossible for God to die. But since God is the very essence of life, it's impossible for God to expire. But as a man die, he must to take away the sin of the world. I don't know if you realize it, but tonight or today, I should say, that there is a man who is seated on the throne of the universe who shares the responsibility of holding all things together by the power of his word. You know, some have made an error, and they even believe that when Jesus returned to heaven, he didn't have to be a man anymore, that he kind of stepped out of his, out of his humanity and back into the way he was before, but that is impossible. For what Paul said here is that he's the one mediator between God and man, who makes intercession for us. And without the intercession of Jesus, we would all be lost. And it's as the man Christ Jesus that Jesus accomplishes that. You know, all of the miracles that Jesus did, they authenticate him as the Messiah. They are they're proof positive that he is the Messiah. But I want you to know, and, and this is, I've got to stress this, that Jesus did not perform miracles. He didn't walk on water, didn't cast out devils or, 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 or even heal blind eyes as the divine Son of God. But as a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, who was relying upon the Holy Spirit, Jesus did not begin his ministry until the Spirit of God came upon him. And it's true, the Spirit of God came upon him without measure while we receive the Spirit of God in measure according to our faith. But, but Jesus did those things. He, he performed those miracles as a man, dependent, reliant, trusting in God and trusting that the Holy Spirit would work in his life. So I suppose maybe the second question that I want to just kind of throw out is so important for us. Was it possible for Jesus to fail since all men have fallen short of the glory of God. And there is an inherent weakness in, in the human nature. There's an inherent weakness in, in all of us. We, we, we know that Jesus experienced weariness. He was exhausted. He was hungry. He was thirsty. And, and in that sense, there is a limitation even upon human nature, even in Christ. So was it possible for Jesus to fail? Now, we have 20-20 hindsight, and we know that he, he, he triumphed. And uh, he was successful in everything that he accomplished. But, but at the very least, what I want you to understand is that there was a tension with the disciples, and, and, and with the angels, and even with the demons. There was a tension between sunset, the day that Jesus was executed, and sunrise, Sunday morning, when Jesus triumphed over death and the grave. The world was held in that suspense, and, and I want you to feel that suspense, even though we know it, it's, its outcome. I want you to think about it. The wilderness temptation where Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, 
there to, to, to combat the, the temptation there in the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights. And you know what? This would have just simply been a sham. It would have been, it would have been a show had there not been the real possibility of Jesus succumbing to temptation. Those temptations that Jesus dealt with, they were, they were real, okay? And if Jesus had fallen into temptation, he would have been disqualified as the Lamb of God. That would have interrupted the whole plan of salvation. For from the beginning of human history, no man had ever been able to defeat this one we call Lucifer or, or Satan. But you know what? Satan never met a man like this before, one who loved God more than his own life. Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, Son of Man is going to be destroyed. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be, he's going to be uh, treated harshly by the chief priests and the elders. And, but on the third day, he'll rise again. Peter, Peter said, Jesus, let me, here, can, let's, let's talk about this. You know, you've got to stop talking about this crucifixion stuff. This is not what, you know, you ought to be talking about. And Jesus did not rebuke Peter. But he rebuked Satan. He rebuked the evil spirit that was speaking through Peter because it was Satan's attempt to circumvent the plan of salvation. And that wasn't just the first time that the enemy tried to circumvent the plan of salvation. If you remember, when Jesus was just a child, Herod, out of jealousy, gave an order to his soldiers to go into the village of Bethlehem, kill every male baby two years old and under. Again, an attempt to circumvent the plan of of salvation. There were times when, when men picked up stones to, to kill Jesus or to throw him over a cliff upon which the city of Nazareth was built. Again, an attempt to circumvent the plan of salvation. <clears throat> so let me ask you a question. What would have happened had Jesus never made it to the cross? What would have happened if Jesus prematurely died, say, in Gethsemane? We know that under certain circumstances, out of extreme pressure, men have perished. Men, out of extreme fear, men have, you know, had heart attacks and, they, and they've died. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. What was he saying? He was saying, I feel like I'm dying. This is, this is where Jesus fell to the ground with his face to the ground and he sweat. He was in agony, great drops of blood. The pressure was so great upon Jesus. Now listen, let me say this. It wasn't just the issue of, of being crucified that was on his mind. No, Jesus was being asked to voluntarily consume the cup of the wrath of God against sin, sin which he had never committed, doesn't even know what sin is personally. And Jesus was being asked to voluntarily take upon himself the sin of the world so that he would, he would now be condemned as a sinner and in the process suffer what was tantamount to eternal punishment. There's only one, one person in the whole universe who was qualified to undertake so great a mission, and that was the man Christ Jesus. Fully God, fully man. I believe that the account of Gethsemane was written for us so that we would see the tension that existed in making that ultimate decision to be the sin bearer of the world. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane that God sent an angel to strengthen Jesus, perhaps because Jesus had come so close to the pressure of death. Gethsemane will always be a holy place for us to consider and, and a place where we can't not fully comprehend how much Jesus 
suffered for us and as us. What would have happened had Jesus died at the whipping post where, where, where the Romans had no mercy rule of 40, 40 lashes minus one? They just kept going until... If, you, if you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you wonder how could Jesus have endured such horrific punishment? Well, the fact of the matter is that everything about Jesus is amazing, isn't it? If the man Christ Jesus had prematurely died in Gethsemane or if he died being flogged, when chunks of his flesh were ripped from his body. I, I, I suppose I have to say that that was a possibility. In some sense, it was a possibility. But the plan of salvation could not be thwarted because God had all things according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. See, what was so important is not simply that Jesus died but that G the manner in which Jesus died, he had to hang on a tree, on a cross, for cursed is every man that hangs upon a tree. And in the process, become condemned. And in the process, God, God condemns sin, but he also justifies the sinner. And this is amazing. No wonder why the princes of this world, had they known they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus, I want you to know this. This is so important. Jesus fundamentally lived his life as a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit, reliant upon the Holy Spirit for wisdom and power and enablement and discernment and, and understanding in the same way that you and I are also to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to enable us to fulfill the mission that God has called for each and every one of us. When scripture tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with man, that's not talking about his divine nature because God cannot increase in anything. He's already perfect, has perfect knowledge, has perfect understanding. But that's talking about the humanity of Jesus, who when he was born, was born just like us, vulnerable, in need, of someone to care for us, to look, to learn, to grow, to discover his identity, to discover his destiny, just as, as we are to discover our destiny. Something was needed here for Jesus, and that was for him to put his trust in God. In fact, do you know that the, the accusation that, that they waged against him when he was hanging on the cross was, you trusted in God. Now let's see God deliver you. They, they mocked his faith and trust in the living God. Here's another reason why this is so important. Because the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus empowers you and me as we rely on him and we put our trust in him. The only way that we could live this life is in the power of the Holy Spirit. We were singing a song earlier today and, and I was thinking the greatest ambition that I have, the greatest ambition that any human being can have is to live for Christ. We judge thus that if one died for all, then we should no longer live for ourselves, but we should live for the one who died for us. To live for Christ is a great ambition. Here's, a, here's another verse to just drive home this point. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, Christ, and this is the audacity that Peter has to say this, Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps, who committed no sin. Now listen to me very carefully. Had Jesus 
overcame temptation out of his divine nature, had Jesus lived this life out of the strength of his divine being, there's no way that Peter could say to us, follow in his steps, because we're not divine. We're human. But we are men and women who can be filled with the Holy Spirit, reliant upon the Holy Spirit on the Word, on prayer, and, and, and just entrusting, putting our faith in the living God. Here's my bottom line this morning. To be like Jesus is to be the kind of human Jesus is. To be like Jesus, and that ultimate is to love God more than we love ourselves. I want to kind of close with an illustration. <clears throat> you may have heard of Kevin Bacon. He's an actor. You know, I wonder if his real name is Bacon. I mean, like they say, like, everything is better with Bacon, right? Maybe that, maybe that was his thought, you know? Kevin Bacon, you know? He comes from a pig, you know? But anyway, he, he, he's having a conversation that he relates with his six-year-old, right? His six-year-old sees the movie Footloose. Anybody see that movie Footloose years ago? He sees the movie Footloose, and, he, and he's so, you know, impressed with his dad, and he, and he comes in, and he says, Dad, Dad, he says, you know that thing that you did on the rafters and, and, and how you landed on your feet? That was so awesome. How did you do that? And Kevin says, well, son, says, I really didn't do that. He said, it was a stunt double. And confused, the six-year-old says, what's a stunt double? And Kevin says, well, somebody who dressed like me and who looked like me and did things that I could never do. A little confused, he walked out of the room and about... Five or ten minutes later, he came back. He said, Dad, Dad, you know that thing that you did in the gym on the bar? And, and, and you did that flip, and then you land on your feet. How'd you do that? And again, Kevin says, I, so I didn't do that. It was a gymnast double. Uh, what's a gymnast double? Well, a gymnast double looked like me, and, 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 and he dressed like me. Uh, but he did things that I could never do. Totally confused, the six-year-old says, well, Dad, what did you do? He says, son, I got all the glory. Jesus Christ didn't just dress like us. He became one of us. He put on our humanity, and he did things that we could never do. He became one of us and one as us. He accomplished he achieved the perfection of the law. He achieved having, having been condemned so that we don't have to be condemned. He achieved all of those things on our behalf so that now we can live for him. This is, this is all grace. This is all undeserved and unearned. This is the gospel. This is the one message that the church has, that we were bought, ransomed, paid for, not with silver, not with gold, but with the precious blood of a lamb without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or warts. Jesus did that for us so that we might be clothed in his perfection, all, that we would get the glory, that, that, that all that he achieved would come to us through faith and through trusting in him. And you know what Jesus does? He invites us. Whenever the gospel is preached, he, he says, come to me, I will give you rest. Come to me, I'll give you peace. And you know what? If you're going through a storm right now, I got to tell you, Jesus still can still the storms. He can still quiet 
and cause the wind and the, and, and, and the waves to cease in our life and to give us peace that's inexpressible. If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Christ, my heart's desire today is, is that you would, before you leave this place today, I'd like to pray with you. Would you just bow your hearts with me now as we pray? Lord, if there's any here, I pray even now, Jesus, that you would work opening their heart. I read in the book of Acts that you opened the heart of Lydia and she became a follower of you. I pray that you would open hearts now. Show them the wonder of Jesus. Show them that this Jesus was so marred and disfigured so that we would be made whole. By his bleeding stripes, we are healed. What you need to do is pray something like this. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you could set me free from guilt, condemnation, and from eternal judgment, that you paid the, the price for the penalty of the broken law. I trust in you, and I want to have a relationship with you. Come into my heart. While you're still in a place of prayer, if you've never prayed that prayer before, I I'd like you to make eye contact with me for the simple reason I'd like to pray with you and pray for you this week. God bless you. Is there anyone else that would like to just have prayer this week and you put your trust in Christ for the first time? Amazing. Thank you so much. Now, Father, may the Lord bless and keep us and may he protect us and cause us to live for Christ, to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit just as Jesus was.